I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is Brooke Bentley, author of Sideline Confidential. When young sports journalist Blake Kirk lands her dream gig working as a reporter for her hometown's pro football team, she anticipates many of the challenges that accompany the gig. Long hours in the office and on the field, many days of travel, immense pressure to succeed as a woman in sports journalism. But... What she doesn't expect are the double standards and old school entitlement that trip her up at every turn. From day one, Blake faces off with her boss who does everything in his power to make her job difficult. From forcing her to ride a separate bus to the games, to blocking her from interviewing players in the locker room, to pushing her to network with colleagues at a strip club. Um, As note, as suggestive notes appear on her desk and a consensual celebrity hookup is weaponized against her, Blake's dream devolves into a nightmare, forcing her to choose between her dignity and her career. Well, let's welcome the author, Brooke Bentley. Nice to have you on the show. Catherine, thank you for having me. All right, Brooke, this is, I guess, this is not a memoir, right? This is a novel, a debut novel. But it does seem like it has a lot to do with or describes your, uh, I guess, your career in uh, sports journalism. That's right. It it is a novel. Um, It is not my story. But there is a lot of my journey in the book Sideline Confidential. Uh, I was a young reporter in the NFL. I went to journalism school at USC and right out of journalism school. I got a job with the Houston Texans, and I'm from Houston, so it felt like this dream job. And in many ways, it was. Um, My life was not exactly like Blake Kirk's in the book, but there were things that really surprised me. Uh, I was the first female at that point. This was 2007 um, when I was hired. I was the first female to consistently travel with the team. They'd never had a female travel with their football team. And there were women who worked for the Texans, but they were assistants or they worked in HR or they worked in the legal team, but no one traveled on the football side. And so my first week of work, my boss sat me in his office and said, I think you're going to need to ride your own bus to the away games. And I looked at him and I said, why? And he said, I think you're going to be a distraction. And we're just not used to having a woman around um, when we travel. And he said, I think you would be better to be on your own bus. And I was so surprised because these men play in front of 70,000 fans. They play next to cheerleaders. And I thought, how could I be a distraction? Uh, But as the season went on, I earned the trust of the top brass on the front office and the players and coaches. And I was able to ride with the team. And it did not play out like it plays out in the book. But it gave me that idea. And that idea stuck with me. And so I had always wanted to write this book. And at first, I thought it would be like the devil wears Prada, but set in the NFL. But then as I got to know other women and other football teams, and I got to hear their journeys and see what they dealt with, I thought there's more to this book. And so I got to incorporate other women's stories as well. So what was your expectation? I'm going to kind of go back a little bit. Uh, You know, you you got the job. So was the expectation, oh, this is going to, I'm not going to be, you weren't even asked to sit in the back of the bus. You had to sit (laughs) on another bus, right? Or they're telling you you needed to do that. But what was the expectation going into all of this? Uh, were you blindsided? I, I was. You know, I was young, Catherine, so I, I really wasn't totally sure what to expect. But I thought that I would be treated 
just as everyone else on the team was being treated. And uh, I was the media coordinator, and my role at that point was to help bring media in-house for the team. And the Texans were trying to do what the Cowboys and Patriots had already done, which was own a lot of their media. The NFL can control their message then. They have TV shows. They have the radio broadcast of the games. And then they can also sell the advertising and make money through the advertising revenue. And so I was brought on board to be sort of the reporter and face of all of that. And um, I, I just thought I would be along with the team and like another reporter. And there, at that point, I mean, so many women reporters were covering teams, but I didn't realize there weren't that many women actually working on the football side, the football operations side for NFL teams. And so I was blindsided. I, I didn't expect that. And a lot of the people that I worked for had been in the league for a long time and had been used to doing things a certain way. And they weren't used to having a woman around. But I didn't mean that things didn't, I mean, things changed when I was there. And I will give a lot of these executives credit. And the coaches were wonderful. Um, and they, they did end up embracing me and um, teaching me quite a bit. Uh, not, you know, there's always like a few personalities there that were tricky to navigate. Um, but what really was interesting is that a few people from the Texans left and worked for the Redskins. And then I also knew some of the people at the Redskins. They're now the commanders, but at this point they were the Redskins. And that was a, a team. And then if you're not familiar with football, maybe not know this, that has had a lot of issues with a toxic culture, sexual harassment. And when a lot of those news stories broke, that's when I realized this it was a much deeper issue than, I mean, I faced some of it, but not to the extent the note writing that was going on in Washington, D.C., the propositioning, you know, there was, it was at a much higher level. And um, I mean, the owner, the insiders basically even forced to sell the team because of it. But what about who, I, I, w- I guess I would like to know, like who was the, or who would you I define or describe as your people who were on your team and maybe those who weren't, I mean, like the specific challenges who, I mean, I guess you don't have to name names, but you know, like what were some of the specific issues for you um, that were, uh, that you had a face and who helped you and who didn't help you? Right. Well, you know, I think for me, riding in my own bus was really difficult because I was immediately separated. I mean, we get a bus, a chain of buses to go pick us up from the hotel and take us to the games on Sunday. And I had to wait for my own bus. And I left, I waited in the lobby till my, my, I was the last bus to leave. And, um, you know, there was one time where the bus didn't arrive. And so I was told to take a taxi cab and then that taxi cab couldn't park where the buses park. The buses have a police escort. They go into the bottom of the stadium. You have, you know, security with you, all of that. And I was, you know, the cab had at that point had, could only get to a, like the perimeter of the stadium. So I ended up, you know, walking through the parking lots with my rolling bag. Um, so, you know, there were things like that. And that's actually after that, that's when the team realized, like, I might have, they needed to have me on the bus. Everyone else is actually causing more of a distraction. But in the beginning, I also wasn't allowed in the locker room to do interviews. And I was there to do interviews. That was my job. But my boss at the time felt uncomfortable about having someone on the team, interviewing coworkers who would be changing. And, you know, it's, it's a courtesy for the media when they're in the locker room. You let someone change in privacy. You, you don't talk to them. You don't look. Um, a lot of teams have rules where you can't even interview a player until he has his shirt on. And so, you know, you just give them that time to get dressed, and then you're able to go and say, hey, are you ready for an interview? And the cameras come around. But I wasn't doing that in the beginning. They weren't comfortable uh, with me doing that. And that was very challenging because, I mean, that's where the news happens. That's where the sound bites happen. That's where you do your interviews or even 
get a little information off the record. Say, hey, I noticed this play or I saw this happening. What do you think? I'm not going to interview you, but just give me some background information. And that was very challenging, not being able to have that locker room access. Um, but but no, then you were able like to, I, said, I guess when you, it's, you know, that's the problem, but you were able to navigate it. I mean, there are, there, as you just said, yeah. there are ways you don't interview somebody if they yeah. don't have their shirt on, you don't look in certain places, but it can be done. Yeah. And it you did. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, I think I made friends in the media who said, hey, you know, to the people working for the team, Brooke, me, you know, she should be in here. She's doing a really good job. You should have her in the locker room. Um, even the head coach of the team was like, yeah, I think this is actually, it would be better if you were just in. Because it, it's a little, you know, they were having to pull players outside, pull them outside of the locker room and set up an interview. And it was, that was creating more challenges. And so um, the head coach of the team at the time said, yeah, you know, this is just silly. Let's just have her go in and do the interviews in there. So it ended up changing. And I would say the people who advocated for me were other members of the media, both men and women, and, um, you know, some of the coaches for the team. Because they also, I mean, it was, it was, a scheduling issue too to get my all my interviews done. What about the time you said it was in 2007? Okay, now we can fast forward. We're in 20, uh, what, how many years? Uh, uh, quite a few years uh, it's been since it, you were put in that position. Has it changed or how has it changed? You know, I think there's been a lot of change since 2020. And what's interesting, Catherine, is that when I wrote this book in 2020, I submitted a draft just a woman who was an executive for an NFL team at the time. She was a vice president. And she said, you know, Brooke, there are just not, still not many women working for teams. I don't think you need to have this set in 2007. I think you can have it set present day. Uh, and at that time, that was when all the news had broke about what was going on with the commanders then the Redskins. And an agent also said the same thing. She said, I, I would set this in present day. I recently read an article in USA Today about how since 2020, more than – um, the amount of women in the, on the football side of NFL teams has increased by 120%. I think the NFL really realized that that was an issue and they've made a concerted effort to hire more women on the football side. So I, I you know, the, there are women in the training staff, there's some women assistant coaches. Um, you see, just, you just see more women on the football side. Uh, I mean, it's, it's not obviously anything comparable. It's not equitable to what there is with men, but there, I mean, there was probably, you know, a handful of women working on NFL teams, and now you see them on the football side and on every team. And so I think there's been marketable change in the last couple of years, in the last four years. And um, I can see a shift and feel a shift when I talk to women who are working for teams. What would you say to women today, young women, I guess, who are going to go, you know, be on the NFL teams and, uh, you know, meet the challenges that you met, but although things have changed, what would you say to them or what do you say to them? Well, I think the most important thing is to find a mentor. I mean, that to me was, like you said, who was on your side, having someone on your side to me was the most important part of navigating being on a pro team that's so powerful. I mean, the NFL is the most powerful sports league. They make the most money of any sports league in the world. And so there's a, there are a lot of egos, and it is a, it can be a difficult industry to navigate as a woman because there are just so many men in powerful positions who've been there for a long time and aren't still aren't used to having women in some of those positions. But there has been a change, and I think that this recent influx of women um, has proven that these women belong. And it is I think having a mentor who has been able to blaze that trail 
is so important to have someone who is on your side, who can give you advice, who's been there. And, um, you know, that, that's the most important thing is also, you, you know, you're helping each other out. And, you know, it doesn't have to be women against women for these spots. It's women helping women get into these spots. Well, so everyone, you need support, as you say, mentoring, support, yes. mentoring, mentoring, mentoring. I mean, you've got guts. Where did that come from? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, it was my dream, Catherine, to be a sports reporter. I grew up playing sports. I love sports. And I used to follow the Houston Rockets. And I saw Lisa Malowski, who is a female sports anchor for the NBC affiliate in Houston. She was covering the Rockets. And I turned to my dad and said, I want to be her one day. And I just wanted that dream so badly. And I I played volleyball in college for Davidson, the school where Steph Curry went. That's how a lot of people know it. But, um, and I thought, well, maybe I'll do something else and I'll practice law. And I worked for a law firm for a few months and I realized that wasn't my dream. And I just was determined to do this. Um, And, uh, you know, I think I was a little naive, too. Like, I told you I was blindsided when I started my job. So it was probably I didn't totally know what I was getting myself into. But once I did, um, there there is something so intoxicating about being down on the sidelines, being a part of the action, following these stories. Um, You know, it is there. I I loved telling the stories. I also loved being part of a moment in sports. And so you you see all these fans of people from all walks of life coming together to cheer for a team. You have 70,000 people in the stands or more. And um, there is that thrill and that adrenaline. And I, you know, I got it from playing sports and I love covering it sports. So, um, you know, I just, I loved it. I I just, I wasn't prepared for navigating the, you know, sexual politics side of it. Luckily I did have people who supported me and mentored me and that helped me a great deal. Um, and, and, you know, that's why this isn't a memoir, because not all the things that happened in the book happened to me. My life wasn't as interesting <laughs> as Blake's, I mean, you know, the, the journey. But I took parts of, you know, other people's stories. And I had a, a friend who covered NBA teams and other friends who were really pressured to go to strip clubs. That's where their, you know, the GMs wanted to meet or that's where, you know, people in the front office wanted to have their meetings to give them information. And one friend just said it gave me gave her PTSD to read the book because that's she covered the NBA and that's where all these meetings took place off the record meetings was in strip clubs. And she's like, I just, I have to like have a boundary now. I can't do that anymore. I don't like it. Yeah. Um, well, so I, you know, I wanted to include things like that in the book. Brooke. Okay. You li- as I understand it, you live in Houston with your husband and you are raising two young boys now. And okay, you're a mom raising these two young boys. Uh, is there anything that you, I mean, obviously having had this experience, how does that impact your role as a mother with your two young guys? Oh, that's such a good question. I've never been asked that. <laughs> you know, I, I do think that when they opened the first box of books that came from the publisher, no one was as excited for me as my two sons. Um, right now they're eight and 10. They were so proud. And they just said, you know, mom, you did it. You wrote your book. And, you know, one of them, he checks out a lot of books from libraries. He's hearing me in libraries everywhere. <laughs> Was so excited. But I also realized that I have a role as their mother, too, to help them, you know, see the power of the written word and know that, like, I put a message out there. And uh, my book is fun. It's entertaining. I mean, this is not like it's, it, it has a lot of fun and levity to it, but there's also a message. And I also, you know, want them to see, like, I, you know, I'm a strong woman. I followed my dreams. 
and the importance of all of those things um, to them. And, and I think, you know, I think in some ways they did realize uh, they didn't couldn't totally put it together what I did while I was while they were at school that I was sitting in our home office writing this book until the book appeared in front of them. And, um, it, you know, they were so proud. But I think, you know, seeing that that hard work and dedication that went into it, uh, it really, I, I do think it touched them. And I do think that on a, you know, sort of more profound level, they realized, um, you know, what strong women are capable of. And that I want them to be able to really respect that. Yeah. Well, I think that obviously that's what they are. They do respect you and you're doing it amongst other things. And and I know that there's a, a nonprofit that you are associated with. And I wanted to ask you something about that. The homemade uh, hope, uh, which you're involved in. What is that? What, 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 what kind of an organization is that? What do you do? Yes. Uh, it's a 501c3 nonprofit. And, uh, you know, after I had my second child, I was struggling with the reporting schedule of nights, weekends, and holidays, which is when most sporting events take place. And my sister had recently started this nonprofit, Homemade Hope, and it provides healthy cooking classes and mentoring, you know, homework and mentoring period to at-risk children, to children. Um, some, it's mainly, we go to community centers five days a week, and uh, it's a bilingual program as well. And it just started very organically. Um, my sister has an education background and she loves to cook and we have celiac disease in our family. So we've seen the importance of healthy cooking. And so she just kind of did it as a volunteer position. And then other community centers were asking for it and she needed help with writing grant proposals. And so I transitioned from my job in journalism to helping her in development and in writing grant with grant writing, fundraising, and, um, we really grew Homemade Hope. So that was in 2018 when I started working with her. And from 2018 to now, we serve over 11,000 children each year but with, through our healthy cooking program. And we go to a community center with the food and we teach them a lesson plan. So let's say we're doing international food unit and they're going to learn a, um, West African peanuts, chicken peanut stew. And we'll tell them about this stew, but we'll also give them an idea of what the culture is like there, what the geography is. Um, and there's a lesson plan around the, um, the recipe. And then the kids get to make it together. Um, and everyone has to do homework before we begin. So there's a homework period. And we go to, yeah, we go to shelters and community centers five days a week. All right. So, Brooke, you and your sister... I mean, two dynamos, right? Two female dynamos in that family. Uh, I'm, you know, you make it sound easy the way you're describing it. You're serving 11,000 people and, you know, just happened to help your sister out. Now you have this huge, uh, successful not-for-profit. Uh, now I have to go back. Was it, was it just you and your two sisters? Did you have brothers, um, mother, father? I, who? Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I'm, my parents, my mom um, has worked in nonprofit most of her life. So that's, we got a lot of guidance from her and, um, she started an art, she was a, a therapist and then she started an art therapy program called art bridge. And, um, she really helped guide me and my sister through this. I have a youngest sister who lives in Los Angeles. Um, and so it's three girls and yeah, we all, um, we are definitely go-getters, I guess. <laughs> and I don't know really, like, I don't know where that came from, but we just all, we are in our own, and with our own unique personalities. 
My sister, who start, first started Homemade Hope, is very quiet, and, you know, she's um, more shy, but she's a doer. And so she does things, but she's not one who wants to be out in the spotlight, per se. You know, she just likes to get it done. And um, so, and she's amazing. She, um, you know, she's really just poured her heart and soul into this organization and took what, what was going to, just a side volunteer job into a, a very impactful grassroots organization in Houston. Well, so you two compliment one one another. You're both go-getters, but she's the quiet one and you're out there. Uh, well, you're the spokesperson, I would imagine, uh, former television anchor and a sports reporter, right? So um, it's a good combination. I mean, and, you know. Exactly. So, so, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we do very well in meetings because, you know, she loves to show the recipes or she has all, you know, the pictures and all the data. And then she likes me to do more of the presentation. But we, you know, it's, it has been wonderful to be able to work with her on this and um, be a part of each other's journeys because, you know, I mean, I love working in sports, but there's, you know, when you, you obviously you have a social work background when you also feel like you're connected to the community and you're doing something that you can see the impact of, it's just, it's very fulfilling in a different way than, um, than my work in journalism was. So, um, you know, I've, and I've been able to combine that with my writing because I, like I said, I've written grant proposals that helped to help a bit with the writing needs of the organization. Well, this is your first book. Are you going on to write your second book? I, I mean, you sound like, uh, maybe you're headed in that direction. Another book soon. Yes. Yes. I know. I want to write another book. I have a few ideas. Um, and I, you know, it's been nice because homemade hope has grown so much that we've been able to hire in more people. And it's just been, you know, a great position for me to be able to be involved in, but also have the time to, to write and, um, to have that flexibility. And so, uh, I love sports, like I said, but I also, um, I see through youth sports how parents get really caught up in the lives of their children playing sports, especially in Little League. It's a, Little League's a really big deal in Texas. And so I have this idea about a Little League book um, where, you know, people from all walks of life are on a team and the different personalities coming together and different things playing out through this team. So... Um, I've, I've seen it firsthand and I have some families who look at me in the stands because I think, you know, I've, I've mentioned it a few times. They're like, wait, are we going to be in your book? <laughs> um, but you know, I, I mentally take notes right now at games. Uh, people could be a little uh, afraid of talking to you. Uh, it, it's true. <laughs> oh, I'm sure We're now. sharing <laughs> stuff because, oh my God, Brooke is going to be, I am going to be in a book and it better be a good, yeah, <laughs> it could be kind of, right. <laughs> But yeah, sports. So little league. There's always been a. Uh, uh, that's a whole other issue. Uh, little league is controversial. It has been controversial, right? In terms of the competition and putting kids in this like very uh, competitive atmosphere that perhaps is too competitive. Uh, you know, I, I don't. I mean, I haven't really followed it, but I know that that has been one of the issues with uh, with little. Uh, yeah, with little league. It, it is an issue, and these kids. I mean, I'm talking about my youngest is eight. I mean, they are eight-year-olds playing year-round baseball and there's so much pressure put on them by their parents. And, um, you know, these, some of these dads are living their dreams out through their sons out there. And that's, it's, you know, not necessarily healthy. And then you have all sorts of other things going on behind the, behind the scenes. Um, and we've been on teams where 
you know, you see relationships play out through the little league team. And it's just, you know, I just realized there was a lot more at play going on. Um, and we, you know, and we had one family come and they came to Houston for MD Anderson for cancer treatment. And they actually came from Eastern Europe and they had never, their son had never thrown a ball, not just a baseball, a ball at all. And he was terrified of the baseball and he ended up last year being on a team where he just rolled the ball on the ground, but the team figured out his personality and how to, you know, work with him and they won the championship, which I thought was so cool. And so I thought, you know, there are also inspirational stories in there too. There's great things that happen. There's, you know, so it runs the gamut, but I, I, I've taken little nuggets from different teams we've been on and seeing some things play out with other teams from other friends are on and thought, okay, there's a lot going on here that I, I have some material. Yeah, you have a lot of material. That's a great story. <laughs> yeah, it's the, the whole, yeah, and I think you mentioned earlier too, it's kind of a melting pot of all kids from all different kinds of backgrounds, et cetera. Anyway, I'm looking forward right. to the book, but uh, we have three minutes left. So um, I've just mentioned a few things that you're doing, but um, tell us more uh, where we can go to get more information about uh, the book, about you and your work and what you are doing now. Yeah, you can go to my website, which is brookbentley.com, and it has information about my book, Sideline Confidential. It also links to some articles that I've written. Uh, I wrote an article for Mother Magazine um, about just the pressure women feel to have it all, and it's really hard to you know, be the perfect mom and have this robust career and have this very fulfilling partnership or marriage. And um, you sort of feel like something has to give. And I, for a while, was trying to have it all. And I realized there's, you can, but just maybe not all at once at the same time. And there's sort of a season where something takes priority. Like your kids really need you and they take priority and your career really takes the back seat. Or last fall with my book coming out, I really felt like that was a time where I kind of had to put my career first, and I had, which I hadn't done for a long time since I'd had children and really focus on that. And I thought, okay, for these six months, this is, I'm not going to be able to be at everything that they do. And that's okay. Cause I, I, this is a short season. This is the short season of my book, but I will be able to do all those things once I, you know, finish with their media and really plugging this and putting my all into my book. And so um, anyways, I ended up writing an article about that. So that's also on my website as some other pieces I've done. And you can connect through um, my website. My email is up there. And um, yeah, and then I'm, I'm on social media. Uh, I do a lot on Instagram, but I'm also on Twitter at Brookie Bentley. So all those things are up there. You have great advice. And I think that's really, uh, especially what you just mentioned at the end, you know, you, you can do, maybe you can't, one can do it all, but you can't do it all at once. And I think that that's, that that's really key. And uh, you have to be aware of what you can do when. And um, good advice, sideline, confidential. And I've been talking to the author, Brooke Bentley. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Great to have you. Thank you, Catherine. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone. And you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Mm-hmm. 